Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN, and now, and now, and now, an expanded version of the show, I am happy to say. Uh, and in doing that, we have a very two very special guests today, one we'll get to in a moment, and the second will be Carol Baskin. You know her from The Tiger King on Netflix. There's a law that just passed that will save not only tigers, but other big cats. We'll explain what that law is. We've talked to U.S. State Representative or U.S. Representative Mike Quigley about this more than once on the radio. Why is the Big Cat Rescue Act so important? It truly is. And we'll talk to Carol about that. And also, I want to ask her about the Tiger King as well. But first, it is my pleasure, my honor to introduce my friend David Fry. If you've ever seen a dog show on national TV, he is the guy saying, well, that dog will win the show. Well, maybe he doesn't say You don't say that. I, you should say that. Uh, he is. You always ask. Yes, I do always ask who's going to win the show. But now we know who won the show, the national dog show presented by Purina. Was that a surprise to you that, what was it, a French bulldog that won? No, it was not a surprise. It actually was the number one Frenchie and the, the number one dog, all breeds in the country. Uh, number one Frenchie in history has won something like 75, 80 best in show and and uh, a great little showman, beautifully handled by Perry Payton. But uh, Winston, the French Bulldog, uh, was great fun for so many people. It's the number, it's the number two dog in AKC registrations now. Uh, hmm. Number one dog in a lot of different cities. I think it might be the number one dog in Chicago. So what um, what is it about this dog that is makes this dog, Winston, uh, or made this dog Winston? I guess Winston still is the number one dog. Well, you know, it's a dog show, and you got to show. And he's a happy little guy in the ring. He flies around. He looks great. Of course, he's a, a nice physical specimen of his breed, and uh, beautifully presented by Perry. And uh, and he's having a great time out there. And I, I think that's a lot of the battle is you do you got to show. And and it's whether it's personality or enthusiasm or charisma, whatever you want to call it. Um, that always adds points to you because when you get in there at the end and you get down to those seven finalists, those seven group winners, um, they're all going to be pretty good specimens of their breed. So it comes down to some of these extra things about being a, a show dog. And you can see all those dogs or could have. I think it's still online, isn't it? And they rerun that show. It's amazing what your ratings. I don't know if the ratings have come in. It's Thanksgiving Day, so it's probably long enough ago. How, how did you do? And then, I mean, the reason why I'm asking, David, is because people would have no idea that among the top. I remember during the Olympic year, uh, just a couple of years ago, you guys outrated the Olympics. We outrate a lot of stuff, and we have between twenty and twenty-five million viewers. And not only do we have that many viewers, we've done it consistently uh, over the twenty-year history of the show. Uh, we, we're, we didn't start at 20 or 25, but we started pretty high, like 10, and, and just kept growing and continue to grow. That's unheard of in the TV world these days. John and I just did our 20, John O'Hurley and I just did our 21st national dog show together. So, um, and it's been on the air 21 years with us carrying it and, and, and having a great time on that great family holiday. Indeed. But you can attend in person, I believe, David Fry. A dog show right here just outside Chicago. Well, going on right now, it's the third day of the Windy City Cluster, presented by the International Kennel Club of Chicago. 
we had our show yesterday. There's a show today, the Northeastern Illinois Kennel Club at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center uh, all day long here on Sunday. The final show, we've got a lot of things going on, puppy competition, breeders uh, symposium, a grooming competition, performance events and demos. Uh, an open show for breeds that you don't get to see that are not eligible for the rest of the dog show, and and plenty of things for everybody to do in the family. Great fun. Uh, go to greatamericandogshow.com to get tickets and come and see us. All right, so I have uh, several questions about that. So the grooming competition, is that for the people or the dogs? <laughs> it's for the it's for the dogs. Oh, and we'll see how good a groomers the people are. But yeah, we always you know because I uh, the best handlers are invisible, so we're not so worried about what they do. They want to present themselves well. We hope, but uh, if they're invisible, we want to see the dogs well groomed and looking good. But this grooming competition, we have some fun with it. Some of the poodles come out of there painted pink or green or different colors to have. Uh, different exciting things in their lives. Okay, so I get pushback on that whenever on social media I post an image of a poodle painted pink. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment. Those, well, I those, do too, so I understand. Yeah, those poodles don't care. and They don't care. They, they actually probably enjoy the attention that they get when it occurs, but if they groom themselves, there's nothing toxic about it, right? No, food coloring kind of stuff. Yeah, so well, it's, it's it's benign. It's, fun. it's entertaining. You're right. Benign is a good word for it. Yeah. So another fun thing for us to do with our dogs. Yeah, but you did say you you did say something about breeds that aren't typically shown. Is that what an you said? open show? It's an open show. It's for dogs that are in the miscellaneous class, mostly in the in, in the AKC, which means they haven't been uh, given the final go ahead to come into the regular show and confirmation. So it's called an open show. And we see a lot of dogs like Dutch Shepherds and Teddy Russell, Teddy Roosevelt Russell Terriers, Teddy Roosevelt Terriers. And it's for uh, some of these dogs that are sort of in the bullpen getting ready to, to come forward and be in the, uh, be recognized and be ready for the regular confirmation shows. So what is a Teddy Roosevelt Terrier? Is that a dog that makes a lot of speeches and uh, prevents yeah. war? Or what? what a what? little dog running around with a monocle on and... And, uh, you know, with his Rough Riders <laughs> following close behind him. It's, um, they're cute little guys, cute little short-legged, long dogs. And, um, but they're a typical terrier, and, and they're a lot of fun. Kind of like Jack Russell's? Kind of like Jack Russell's, only they're a little more smooth-coated and uh, a different look to them. They're, they, they're kind of a cross between, well, I mean, it looks like a cross between, uh, there's some dachshund in there, you might think. Um, there's some, you know, the regular terrier head with pointed ears and pointed nose and things like that. So uh, it's hard to describe because they don't really have a, uh, they don't have a standard that we judge them by so much just yet. Um, I I think many of them do, but some of them are still in, in, you're still trying to figure out what all the stuff in their standard means for that breed. I'm curious about something and it's unfair that I'm asking you, but I never said I was fair. No, give me your best shot. What is a Jack Russell? Ter- Who is Jack Russell? He was a uh, minister, I believe, in England years ago. That um, kind of developed, helped to develop the breed. Only so. David Fry would know the answer to that question off the cuff. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, I'm going to catch him. I don't mean to do that because I'm your friend. <laughs> and you knew. I didn't know any of that. 
As far as you know, I knew. (laughs) You're going to question me if I give you an answer? No, (laughs) I would never do that. So is there going to be a David Fry Terrier somewhere down the road? (laughs) I would certainly hope so. I would hope it would be a sporting dog, actually. I love terriers. Don't send me cards and letters. Just, you know, I love terriers. But I hope a David Fry dog would be a sporting dog somewhere on the line. Is that your favorite group, personally? Well, I think it is now. I think it's safe to say that I have two favorite dogs. My two breeds are Brittany's and, and uh, Cavaliers. They're, of course, both. Brittany used to be called a Brittany Spaniel. It's not anymore, but it has. It's the origins is a Spaniel, and, and the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel is a toy Spaniel bred down. I mean, it's Spaniel bred down. Okay. toy version. So, yeah, I'll be a sporting guy. And I love my <laughs> Afghan hounds, of course. Yes. They were originally sporting dogs as well, and they kind of are sporting dogs because they're hunters. So. All right, I want to yeah. talk more about the... Oh, I'm a sporting guy. I wanted to, yeah, I want to talk more about the sporting guy, about uh, the dog <laughs> show, and also a therapy dog symposium that was recently held. We'll do that when we come back with the one, the only, because there can be no more than one David Fry next. Steve Dale back with you on WGN with my very special guest, David Fry, who's going to tell us about the cluster. The final part of that cluster is today. It's a dog show cluster that's going on right here in Schaumburg. Tell us again where people can learn about this dog show that, uh, that folks can attend. You can go online for tickets and ticket information to thegreatamericandogshow.com. It's the Windy City Cluster, which, is a, which has been a three-day um, three all-breed dog shows in three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Get out there today and, and get your look at, at the competition. You know, nearly 200 breeds and uh, puppies. we got puppy competition. Oh. we got special event, uh, performance event demonstrations like agility and obedience and things like that. So there's something for everybody. Come and see us. Come find me and say hello. All right. you going to be out there? I'm going to be there. All right, so this I'll, is. I've got to get to the airport that night and get home, but uh, yeah, I'm going to be there for the whole the whole, the whole thing. Uh, come see me today on Sunday. What are you going to be doing? Good... I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I might be. <laughs> that doing was some a trick question. We might be doing some some uh, on the floor interviews. We'll just see how it goes by the time uh, we roll around. It's our first time doing this cluster. We've got a lot of things going on. So, and I'm a member of the club, so I'm sure I'll be very busy doing club stuff as well as doing David Fry stuff. So um, we'll try to keep everybody entertained and and uh, and get you all a look at all these great dogs. So if you see David Fry, help him get off the floor where he's doing these interviews. <laughs> and he may need it. I don't know. So, David, I have another question to ask you about. You and I share a passion. In fact, you are one of the leaders in America when it comes to therapy dog information and supporting education Involving therapy dogs, you wrote an entire book called Angel on a Leash about that issue. You created, years ago, a therapy dog group uh, based at that time in New York City. And the National Dog Show Therapy Dog Symposium was recently held at Rowan University, which you helped to organize. Tell me a little about that. Well, this was our fourth year of doing the National Dog Show Therapy Dog Symposium. It's at Rowan University, which has a great uh, Schreiber uh, family therapy dog pet therapy program and, and center out there to, to help uh, bring this along. 
And also, they're getting ready. They're just getting a veterinary school in there, too, at that Rowan University in Glassboro. So um, it's a great home for us to do this. It was our fourth year, and uh, we had a lot of great speakers. We talked mostly about, I think the theme this year seemed to be talking about what's good for the dog. We, uh, we think all the time about how much they're doing for the people, but we got to take, and we see that. We see the results in the people. We got to start paying attention to our dogs, too. We don't want to overdo them. I'm concerned about some of these awards out there that are based on the number of hours your dogs are volunteering. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be a time thing. I, I, I mean, agree I can with do you. as much in a half hour as I can in two. So. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the dogs that work too long. You know, therapy dog work is indeed work for the humans, but far more for the dogs. And when I get home from a visit, my yeah. dogs are gassed. Yeah, and and if they've done their job, they should be. Yeah, exactly. So, how long should a dog be doing this work? You know, we have, as you know, a dog that my wife takes and is certified by. Rainbow Animal Assisted Therapy in Chicago, a group I'm well aware great. that yeah, yeah you're great group. Yeah, you're very Love familiar. Rainbow. Yep, yep. And I agree with you. And the visits are generally an hour. And some people have said here and there an hour isn't enough. But frankly, that's probably just right. I think it's just right. I say an hour is my limit, and sometimes you spill over a little bit because you've got some special thing going on, and sometimes you look at your dog after a half hour and you say, yeah, we're going home. You're not here today. Um, but it's but it's all about the dog again. You want the dog, you want the dog to be excited about coming the next time instead of looking at you like, we're going where again? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we didn't, haven't we been doing that for a while? So. Don't count the hours. Count the time that you that you have with the people, and and you're not going to be sitting in front of any one person for an hour. And you're able to say, "Geez, I've had three great visits, and it's only been 35 minutes, but my dog's ready to go home. I can feel it." And you should know that because as a handler, your job is to watch out for the best interests of your dog and to protect your dog as your dog's advocate at all times, and making sure that that they're enjoying it and that they're safe. And that they're having a good time. But that's easier said than done at times. I mean, people I've noted, and I, I can't imagine you haven't seen this as well, are doing therapy dog work for all the right reasons. No question about that. Having said that, it's difficult when it's your own dog to tell. You say, oh, Fluffy's having a great time when Fluffy really kind of isn't. And when you have a third party look at the dog who knows dogs, you can see that. The other thing is people... Sometimes, again, I'm not disparaging anyone, but it's about their ego at some point in time rather than why you began doing this in the first place. Have you noted that? I have, and it's the same thing we say about dog shows and and the handlers in the ring. It's the same thing with therapy dogs, that uh, the best handlers are invisible, but they're there to take care of their dog and make sure they're giving them the right cues and making sure they're staying out of trouble, they're not getting tangled up in somebody's IV uh, cables or, you know, or stepping in the middle of somebody's sutures or tripping somebody. And that's your job as the handler is to make sure they're doing those things. Now, that said, um, most dogs, you can read them, I think, most of the time you can. And this is what we talk about at the symposium this year at Rowan. We, we uh, With Michelle Pick, who was my co- co-chair, who's wonderful at all of this stuff as well, but she lined up all these great speakers that were talking about the things that we need to watch for our dogs. It's, you know, taking care of the caretaker. Mm -hmm. And that's important. And the dog is the caretaker, the caregiver. 
and and I think it's important that the dogs are always on. And it's the same thing about I say it about retiring athletes. So, you know, you'd rather retire an hour or a year too early than a year too late. And it's the same thing with therapy dogs. You'd rather get them out of there uh, after an hour instead of keeping them for another hour and making it turning it into a bad experience for them where they're not really giving it their all with any particular patient. Well, it's not only that for visit, but maybe for career. You know, I would argue that it's also a good to, I mean, I could tell you our dog who's 14 now, this is going to be her last year, you know, because I think it is all, and she's doing fine at it. Of course, she's not the same as she was when she was five. And the thing is, I want her to retire too early rather than too late based on what you just said. I agree with you. Well, I went through it with Grace, and Grace, who died this past summer, uh, just before her 14th or 13th birthday, um, I went through the the recertification program, and it was a three-year gap this year because of the or last year, because of of the pandemic years. They, they gave us the three years instead of two, and uh, and we went through the process. And when we were done, I said, you know, Grace, you're just you're just not into it. Yeah, you're just. I can tell you've done this. You've been great. You've done great things for people your whole life, and uh, it's okay to take a break. Indeed. So. Well, David Fry, you have done great things for people and for dogs for an entire career, but don't retire yet. Not you. <laughs> well, I've, I've got another one to bring out, but again, it's about the dog. It's not about me. I love the activity, and I love seeing my dog do great things, but but the moment that it stops being fun for them, it's not going to be fun for me. I've been fortunate to have dogs that that are that enjoy what they're doing and, and people enjoy them. So uh, God bless them because we do the dog does do a lot of great things for people. Well, I enjoy what I do whenever I talk to David Fry. As always, sir, thank you so much. Very nice, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. So you know how it is as the weather has gotten colder out and the dogs walking down the street and maybe there's snow on the ground, ice on the ground. So your neighbors put salt down. Maybe the city has put salt down on the street, but it's spread to the sidewalk. And your dog is doing that little dance. It's not a happy dance. That means it hurts. So there's now a solution. We'll talk about that solution in a couple of minutes. And I'm so excited that Carol Baskin will be here. You know her from TV, right? From Netflix and the Tiger King. It's called the Big Cat Public Safety Act. This act is going to help preserve wild cats, big cats, but also is just simply the right thing to do for cats in captivity and it's one of those trivia questions. How many tigers are there? Where are most tigers in the world? And the answer isn't Asia. The answer isn't uh, Siberia for Siberian tigers. The answer is right here in America, not in zoos. And we'll talk about all that when we come back on WGN. You might know Carol Baskin, her name from Tiger King on Netflix. And she is the founder of Big Cat Rescue and the CEO of that organization. And I say to you, congratulations! And this is because something I've talked about on this radio show many times. The Big Cat Public Safety Act, thanks to you, our own Illinois Congressman Mike Quigley, uh, and many others who have worked to make this happen. So what is this? What is the Big Cat Public Safety Act? Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Thank you for being a part of passing the Big Cat Public Safety Act because it does two very important things. 
One is that it stops the egregiously abusive practice of speed breeding cubs, ripping them from their mothers, using them as photo and ego props for up to about four months of age when they become too dangerous and can take a finger off a child. And then they end up being discarded into inappropriate homes, such as being kept in private homes or in backyard zoos or just horrible conditions where they're constantly bred to create more cubs. And it phases out the private ownership. So people who have them can keep them. They have to register one time so that U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and first responders know where these cats are. And they just cannot buy or breed anymore. And if there's not a whole bunch of cubs being dumped every year, then there won't be any need to be offloading them to people who are just totally ill-equipped to take care of a 400-pound predator. Well, who can be equipped to do that? So it's the trivia question, that the, where are more tigers found in the world? And it turns out the answer isn't Asia. The answer isn't Siberia. Uh, the answer is what? Yeah, there's only about 4,000 tigers in the wild where they belong, in Sumatra and in India and Siberia. But we estimate there could be as many as 10,000 in the United States. And the problem has been all of these years that nobody knows exactly how many there are until something shows up in the news, like a tiger running loose in Dallas or in Houston or a woman dying and they go out to her backyard and she's got 20 tigers in a horse stall. So it's just, it's been totally out of control and it's taken away the U.S.'s ability to have any authority on the world stage to protect tigers in the wild. So now when the Chinese look at us and say, at least we know where our tigers are. You don't even know where yours are. Now we can say, well, now we're trying to clean up our own mess before we start telling everybody else what to do. And and the truth is that uh, there are, we'll keep it to tigers now, but we're also, really, it's about other big cat species too, but let's keep it to tigers. I think there are six, if I remember my school days right, species or subspecies of tigers they are all endangered, some critically endangered. Now, one thing about zoos is they follow international protocol as far as breeding goes, uh, but these animals are disappearing, and it could be that our great-great-grandchildren will not even see tigers in the wild unless we step it up, and this is a way to help in that regard, too, I believe. Absolutely, and that's what I've been screaming about for years because I believed that in the next five years we would lose the tiger in the wild completely if we didn't pass this bill right now. And so now I think tigers actually have a chance for survival. None of the cats that are bred in captivity serve any kind of um, conservation value because conservation is not having a tiger in a cage. Conservation is having a healthy ecosystem that can support tigers. If it can support tigers, then it can support the entire umbrella of animals underneath it, including humans. And so we needed to get rid of the legal smokescreen that was causing illegal activities like the poaching and selling of those animals in the wild for their parts. Now, I saw the Tiger King, uh, as millions of people did. Were you surprised at how quickly people jumped on to see this program? 
I think it was a perfect storm because it came out the same day everybody got sent to their rooms for the next two years. And so everybody was kind of desperate for something to do. And I think it was a, a huge distraction that kept people entertained. I know when I run into people on the street that recognize me, the first thing they say is that I got them through COVID. And so even though they were hating on me through that whole period of time, I think it was kind of a universal uh, experience that we all were sitting at home watching Tiger King. So are you speaking every day to Joe Exotic? I've never spoken to Joe Exotic, which is <laughs> what's really bizarre. Really? Is I, I, when I've never said a word to him. Really? Really. Uh, are you in touch with him? At, I guess you're not in touch with him at all. And for those who don't know, that was the featured character. In so many ways, he is just that. He's now in jail, I believe. Uh, and serving, I, I forget, I think they cut a sentence a bit or something, and he had cancer. No one wishes that on anyone. But on the other hand, what he did to these animals, but he's not alone, is he? There are places like that. There won't be after this bill becomes law, but there are places like that all over the country. When we started working on this iteration of the bill in 2011, the first thing we needed to do was figure out how big a problem is this. And we found 56 roadside zoos and even some major zoos that were doing cub petting, where they're taking the cubs from their moms, using them as photo props, and then they have to get rid of them because they've become a huge liability. So there were 56 of those, and of those, about 10 or 11 were huge commercial breeders like Joe Exotic and Jeff Lowe and Doc Antle and Mario Tabro. And now, all these years later, because states have passed bans and partial bans while we were trying to get this federal bill passed, there's only two big commercial cub petters left. And there are, that's it. <laughs> it's Doc Antle, who is, is currently under indictment and under house arrest right now, and Mario Tabro. And so we've seen a, a, a huge impact on protecting these animals at the state level. And what we needed was a federal bill like the Big Cat Public Safety Act to finally force these other states into compliance. So I want to understand Carol better. So having seen the show, I would have thought that you would not be necessarily the greatest supporter of this bill. So I think this reveals something about you as well, because this bill is going to do something anyway. It may not save all the big cats. I don't know what we can do to do that, because we also have to save where they live in the wild, and uh, climate change even has something to do with it regarding Siberian tigers, on and on and on. However, this does something. Why are you such a huge supporter? Well, first, I think the, well, I know the producers of Tiger King had a narrative in their mind that they wanted to promote, and it was not anything based on the truth as far as my life goes, mm. because since 1998, I have been working to end the private possession of big cats, because I don't think sanctuaries should have to exist. There shouldn't have to be places like Big Cat Rescue to rescue big cats from horrible situations. We need to just stop the horrible situations. And so we got part of that bill passed in 2003. It was the Captive Wildlife Safety Act, but it had two big loopholes in it. And those two loopholes were cub petting and private ownership. So I've been trying since 2003 
to close that loophole and working with, you know, huge organizations, the Humane Society of the United States, Animal Wellness Action, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, all of these organizations worked on this bill. But it has been my life's legacy to end the practice of having big cats in cages. You know what, Carol? Not a bad legacy. Congratulations for doing this and for saving animals, uh, enhancing welfare of animals, and doing something. It may not be everything, because I don't know that any of us can do everything to save these animals and help protect them and support them in the wild. But you're also, by the way, an outcome of this is also education. So thank you for all of that. Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to talk to you. Same here. Mitch Vestel is the president of Advanced Organic. Mitch, you know, we get this stuff on the ground, and then more of it, more of it, we call snow. In the meantime, maybe we get some rain, so there's ice on the ground, because then it freezes over. It's Chicago! And you see these dogs walk down the street, and they look like, I don't know, Britney Spears doing a little dance. And they're not having a good time to entertain us. It's because it hurts. And you see these little balls in their paw pads, and that hurts a lot. So it's the stinging street salt that hurts combined with the low temperatures, combined with the space in their paw pads that these little ice balls can get into. Some dogs wear little booties, and that'll do the trick. But we want pet-friendly salt. And there's lots of products out there that say, we're pet-friendly. But you say, sir that what you do is pet-friendlier. So from that little intro, explain. Well done, and thanks. Um, <clears throat> and good luck with the weather you guys are getting this week. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a big difference in the dictionary between friendly and safe. Um, when we look at the current array of ice-melting pellets, we see a group of products that are mostly made of chloride salt, that don't claim to be safe, they just claim to be less awful than something else. Um, as pet lovers, we decided to take a look and see what other options were available, uh, best practices from professional channels, etc. And uh, we found this formulation actually primarily used in the aviation industry that prevents ice. You actually use it before snowfall. Um, it's totally chloride-free, so there's nothing to hurt a pet tummy. And it's, it's got no pellet whatsoever to get stuck into a pet paw and hurt. Okay, so, so let's... I think pet parents would find on any measurable um, um, area that they want to compare safety versus friendly, I think they'd find that our liquid is a pretty good choice. Okay, so... Let's back up a step or two. What is this product called, first of all? Um, our product is called PlaySafe Ice Blocker. Okay, so you go to, what is it, like, uh, I, I don't want to say the names of stores necessarily, but a large store that would sell, a big box store, and, and they would sell this type of product, right? We are, um, uh, we are the only um, maker of this type of product, this preventative uh, solution that you can find actually at retail stores. But, yeah, you can go to uh, big box home specialty stores, and you can certainly find us on a wide array of dot-com okay. sites as well. Sure. So centered it's, it's like... And safety-centered as well. Okay. So uh, then the idea is, explain how it's used. So uh, Tom Skilling says, say, 
he's saying tomorrow it's going to snow. Is that the point in time that you do this? Or as it begins to snow, do you use it? How does that work? As you said, I think before it snows. When you watch professionals, um, when professionals see snow coming, they go out with trucks and you'll see them um, lay down a barrier of liquid before the first flake flies. Well, that's what happens at like O'Hare Airport, right? Very good. That is exactly what they do on airports, and you'll see it. Um, you'll see it on runways, roadways, bridges. Um, it really is best practice to get ahead of ice formation. What you're really trying to do is defeat ice before it gets a chance to bond with the surface, because we know that removing ice uh, takes a lot more work than preventing it, which is true probably for most uh, problems. So. We basically turn your pump sprayer into a brine truck. So you pour our product into a pump sprayer. Now, because there's no chloride salt in our formula, you can actually apply us up to 48 hours before snowfall. And does the sprayer it'll stay where you? It'll stay where you spray it. Okay. And does the sprayer come with it? Do you have to buy that? We do not. We do not. Um, um, we do not provide a sprayer. We found that most people. Um, interested in the product, already had a sprayer, and <laughs> okay. any sprayer works. Okay. You don't have to have a sophisticated system. And you can get a, if you need a sprayer to use for this, uh, those same stores sell them for 10 to $12. Okay, or can I use my little plant mister? I suppose that doesn't work. You you, you can if you uh, want to be out there for a little bit. I would stress <laughs> this. Yeah. I would stress this. Um, you can treat about 2,000 square feet before snowfall with one gallon of product. And that makes it real easy for anyone that shouldn't be, I don't care your age or gender or physical prowess. Almost anybody can go out and easily pre-treat their home to prevent ice from becoming a problem. All right, so let's go go through this quickly. Uh, The name of the product, again, is called? PlaySafe Ice Blocker. Okay, and the reason why, explain one more time, why it is not only pet-friendly, but I believe environmentally friendly, so plants and and your grass, all the greenery is not going to suffer that's nearby, which happens, by the way, with traditional salt, which also, I think, is not good for the concrete either. Well, um, none of these products are great for fresh concrete. You should really wait for the first year to apply our product or any... um, ice removal product, any salt. Um, the, um, the problem with chloride salt and um, the environment is that soil can't use chloride salt, and it's destructive, and it is mobile. So almost 100% of whatever you put down to melt ice eventually gets into a water system, and if you take a look at... Um, and Google um, freshwater pollution, you're going to see one of the big villains are the tons and tons of accumulated ice melt that ends up in our water systems and never breaks down. So PlaySafe has a couple of benefits versus the salt options of ice removal. One, we are actually plant positive. The ground will use um, our ingredients. It won't hurt it. And secondly, 
you put down such a small amount before snowfall, you never really get a chance for it to accumulate and become a problem. So, and that's what um, you're seeing a lot of uh, municipalities also rally around is not only do they save a lot of labor and material cost by preventing ice, they also save all of the adverse effects of these chloride salts in waterways. And so, most important great points by you. Okay, well, no, by you. And most importantly, safe for your pets, which is what I'm all about. Mitch Vestel, President, Advanced Organics Play Safe is the product we're talking about. And uh, that's that's important, I'll tell you, because these chloride salts, not only is it the reason why we have so many potholes everywhere in Chicago, or at least one of the reasons for it, and similarly in sidewalks, we have these dents all over the place, public and private areas, driveways as well. But what I'm interested in is our pets so they don't have to do that little dance so they're not in pain when they go out. Uh, so thank you very much. Interesting information. Thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you, Steve. You know, researchers study all sorts of things. Why do your cats choose to sleep where they sleep? It turns out to be no accident, and the study was published in Animal Applied Animal Behavior, and here's what cats look for. They look for a safe place. Usually that's vertical. Cats prefer a place up high, but you know what? Sadly, some households don't provide that. So if you're one of those households, think about it. Provide a place that's vertical for your cat to be, not only to sleep, but to hang out. So cats that are more confident cats tend to like those vertical places if indeed they are offered. Less confident cats may sleep in a corner in a closet or maybe under a bed. So what you want to do is increase the confidence in those cats, but that's where they feel safe. So it's not what you think it's safe, it's what the cat thinks is safe. Privacy. You know, just how, okay, you've got kids around, you have your husband around or your wife around. Let's face it, every now and again, you want to be, you just want to be left alone. Cats are the same way. So every now and again, they want to get away from you. Sorry. Or or the dog or the other cats in the house. They want privacy and they look for a place with that. Warmth. You know, cats will follow the sun from window to window to window. No coincidence, they're sleeping next to the radiator under the heat vent. They love that. And in fact, geriatric cats, I would say, actually need that. And it's territory, a place they have said, it's mine. I've been here. I've got my pheromones there. This is mine. All of that combined is what cats like, and they like to rotate a little bit as well. Hey, check out more information on my website, stevedale.tv. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, as always, next week with Dr. Natalie Marks on WGN. Mitch Vestel is the president of Advanced Organic. Mitch, you know, we get this stuff on the ground, and then more of it, more of it, we call snow. In the meantime, maybe we get some rain, so there's ice on the ground, because then it freezes over. It's Chicago! And you see these dogs walk down the street, and they look like, I don't know, Britney Spears doing a little dance. And they're not having a good time to entertain us. It's because it hurts! And you see these little balls in their paw pads, and that hurts a lot. So it's the stinging street salt that hurts, combined with the low temperatures, combined with the space in their paw pads that these little ice balls can get into. Some dogs wear little booties, and that'll do the trick. But we want pet 
pet-friendly salt. And there's lots of products out there that say, we're pet-friendly. But you say, sir, that what you do is pet-friendlier. So from that little intro, explain. Well done, and thanks. Um, <clears throat> and good luck with the weather you guys are getting this week. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a big difference in the dictionary between friendly and safe. Um, when we look at the current array of ice-melting pellets, we see a group of products that are mostly made of chloride salt that don't claim to be safe. They just claim to be less awful than something else. Um, as pet lovers, we decided to take a look and see what other options were available, uh, best practices from professional channels, etc., and uh, we found this formulation actually primarily used in the aviation industry that prevents ice. You actually use it before snowfall. Um, it's totally chloride-free, so there's nothing to hurt a pet tummy. And it's, it's got no pellet whatsoever to get stuck into a pet paw and hurt. Okay, so, so let's... I think pet parents would find on any measurable... Um, um, area that they want to compare safety versus friendly, I think they'd find that our liquid is a pretty good choice. Okay, so let's back up a step or two. What is this product called, first of all? Um, our product is called PlaySafe Ice Blocker. Okay, so you go to, what is it, like, uh, I, d- I don't want to say the names of stores necessarily, but a large store that would sell, a big box store, and and they would sell this type of product, Right. We are um, uh, we are the only um, maker of this type of product, this preventative uh, solution that you can find actually at retail stores. But yeah, you can go to uh, big box home specialty stores, and you can certainly find us on a wide array of dot com okay. sites as well. Sure. So centered, it's like and safety centered as well. Okay, so. Uh, then the idea is explain how it's used. So uh, Tom Skilling says, say, he's saying, tomorrow it's going to snow. Is that the point in time that you do this? Or as it begins to snow, do you use it? How does that work? As you said, I think before it snows. When you watch professionals, um, when professionals see snow coming, they go out with trucks and you'll see them um, lay down a barrier of liquid before the first flake flies. Well, that's what happens at, like, O'Hare Airport, right? Very good. That is exactly what they do on airports, and you'll see it um, You'll see it on runways, roadways, bridges. Um, it really is best practice to get ahead of ice formation. What you're really trying to do is defeat ice before it gets a chance to bond with the surface because we know that removing ice uh, takes a lot more work than preventing it, which is true probably for most uh, problems. So we basically turn your pump sprayer into a brine truck. So you pour our product into a pump sprayer. Now, because there's no chloride salt in our formula, you can actually apply us up to 48 hours before snowfall. And does the sprayer... It'll stay where you, it'll stay where you spray it. Okay. And does the sprayer come with it? Do you have to buy that? We do not. We do not. Um, um, we do not provide a sprayer. We found that most people um, interested in the product already had a sprayer, and <laughs> okay. any sprayer works. 
Okay. You don't have to have a sophisticated system. And you can get a, if you need a sprayer to use for this, uh, those same stores sell them for 10 to $12. Okay. Or can I use my little plant mister? I suppose that doesn't work. You, you can if you uh, want to be out there for a little bit. I would stress this. <laughs> yeah. I would stress this. Um, you can treat about 2,000 square feet before snowfall with one gallon of product. And that makes it real easy for anyone that shouldn't be, I don't care your age or gender or physical prowess. You, almost anybody can go out and easily pre-treat their home to prevent ice from becoming a problem. All right, so let's it's, go. Let's go through this quickly. Uh, the name of the product again is called PlaySafe Ice Blocker. Okay, and the reason why? Explain one more time why it is not only pet friendly, but I believe environmentally friendly. So plants and and your grass, so all the greenery is not going to suffer that's nearby, which happens. By the way, with traditional salt, which also I think is not good for the concrete either. Well, um, none of these products are great for fresh concrete. You should really wait for the first year to apply our product or any um, ice removal product, any salt. Um, the um, the problem with chloride salt and um, the environment is that soil can't use chloride salt, and it's destructive, and it is mobile. So almost 100% of whatever you put down to melt ice eventually gets into a water system. And if you take a look at um, and Google um, freshwater pollution, you're going to see one of the big villains are the tons and tons of accumulated ice melt that ends up in our water systems and never breaks down. So PlaySafe has a couple of benefits versus the salt options of ice removal. Okay. One, we are plant, actually plant positive. The ground will use um, our ingredients. It won't hurt it. And secondly, you put down such a small amount before snowfall, you never really get a chance for it to accumulate and become a problem. So, and that's what um, you're seeing a lot of uh, municipalities also rally around is not only do they save a lot of labor and material cost by preventing ice, they also save all of the adverse effects of these chloride salts in waterways. And so, most important great points by you. Okay, well, no, by you. And most importantly, safe for your pets, which is what I'm all about. Mitch Vestel. President, Advanced Organics PlaySafe is the product we're talking about, and uh, that's that's important, I'll tell you, because these chloride salts, not only is it the reason why we have so many potholes everywhere in Chicago, or at least one of the reasons for it, and similarly in sidewalks, we have these dents all over the place, public and private areas, driveways as well. But what I'm interested in is our pets so they don't have to do that little dance so they're not in pain when they go out. Uh, So thank you very much. Interesting information. Thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you, Steve. You know, researchers study all sorts of things. Why do your cats choose to sleep where they sleep? It turns out to be no accident. And the study was published in Animal Applied Animal Behavior. And here's what cats look for. They look for a safe place. Usually that's vertical. Cats prefer a place up high, but you know what? 
sadly, some households don't provide that. So if you're one of those households, think about it. Provide a place that's vertical for your cat to be, not only to sleep, but to hang out. So cats that are more confident cats tend to like those vertical places if indeed they are offered. Less confident cats may sleep in a corner in a closet or maybe under a bed. So what you want to do is increase the confidence in those cats, but that's where they feel safe. So it's not what you think it's safe, it's what the cat thinks is safe. Privacy. You know, just how, okay, you've got kids around, you have your husband around or your wife around. Let's face it, every now and again, you want to be, you just want to be left alone. Cats are the same way. So every now and again, they want to get away from you. Sorry. Or or the dog or the other cats in the house. They want privacy and they look for a place with that. Warmth. You know, cats will follow the sun from window to window to window. No coincidence, they're sleeping next to the radiator under the heat vent. They love that. And in fact, geriatric cats, I would say, actually need that. And it's territory, a place they have said, it's mine. I've been here. I've got my pheromones there. This is mine. All of that combined is what cats like, and they like to rotate a little bit as well. Hey, check out more information on my website, stevedale.tv. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, as always, next week with Dr. Natalie Marks on WGN.